Hey guys, this is the Damage Control Podcast, and I'm Anthony Angelillo. And I'm Melinda Grimaldi. Are you ready for our next episode? Let's get down to business. Let's get started. Anthony, let's let's kick off the show formally now. Um, <laughs> we've been chit-chatting, but let's do it. All right, guys. Anthony Angelillo, branch manager with Paramount Residential Mortgage Group over in Miami Shores and um, CEO, founder of Tag Team Nation marketing, e-commerce, and tech company, and also top originator of 2020 and hopefully 2021. Let's do uh, it. It's, it's been a good year so far. Uh, a couple things that have held us back, but um, we've got a lot of things going out and we're gonna be launching some nasty stuff very, very soon. Uh, so that is why part of the reason I'm working from home to try to get things done and uh, you know hammer out what we're, we're envisioning for you buyers agents. But uh, partner and um, co-host of Damage Control, and it's it's funny because Melinda and I were talking about this yesterday, on how we literally launched a company through COVID, um, because it was last year was challenging, man, for a lot of individuals and business, and and here we are launching a company during tough times. So it's awesome. It's a blessing to have all of you subscribers watching our show either now or after. Uh, we're noticing a lot of people uh, watching in, you know afterwards too. So it's cool, man. With that, yeah, it, it's cool because uh, you know, hopefully, you're out there getting some business, right? But that's the the beauty of technology. Uh, if you're if you're available, if you're driving, if you're able to catch in live, it's it's amazing because you guys can um, send us questions or feedback in the chat. But if not, you know, the replay is always amazing, and you can always reach out to us after. So with that, I'm Melinda Grimaldi, real estate and title attorney of Grimaldi Law Firm and the Closers Title Insurance Company, and uh, co-host of Damage Control and um ready for the weekend <laughs> it's been uh it's been a very challenging week um for me so i'm happy to be at the office today and like getting through and on the show and kind of going back into routine so let's do it let's do it so you cannot talk about real estate about marital status about really anything in that genre without understanding homestead. So a lot of people use the term homestead, um, but I don't know if they really understand the ramifications of that. So I'm going to go through and explain it to you guys. I've said this before. Uh, I've explained it before, um, but it's it, like, literally, it's the hardest part of the Florida bar is the homestead mm -hmm. section. Yes. So it's the hardest part of the Florida bar because it's a very... Um, it's not always, it's not such a straight line uh, concept and not all states have it. So they always test on it to keep other, uh, to protect Florida's bar, right? From like everyone wanting to move to Florida. And, and so that's, that's a little bit of a background of the homestead. We actually, uh, you know, in law school, I took a Florida constitutional law class. This is a constitutional law concept uh, for the state. And so like half the, half the semester, we just studied Homestead because there's so, so I, many I think, I think agents only know the tax portion of it. I don't think they understand, you know, what you're going into creditor and family and all of that. Right. So, 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 so this is how I want to start the show because I'm going to give you Homestead 101. It's going to be a crash course. Um, and maybe we will kind of type out an outline for you guys to understand Got that. Yeah, for sure. So, 
speaking of um, uh, taxes, we, we can get knock that one out right away, right? So, but before we go into the taxes and all the other things that, that Homestead gives you, Homestead is your primary residence. You cannot have more than one Homestead. Um, there is, for tax purposes, you can file a document with the county um, to claim your Homestead, um, but to, it, it may be challenged uh, depending on where you live, how long you live there. So the, the idea is it's got to be your primary residence where you reside the majority of the time. You cannot have more than one. Um, so all these different uh, categories of homestead can later come back and you can be you can be challenged to say that's not really your homestead. And, and so you there's ways to prove it. Like you want to have it on your driver's license. You want your, all your main bills to have the, that as a mailing address, uh, things like that. So just bear that in mind, but let's go into the tax exempt. So there's three categories or things to consider. Once you have a homestead, if you own a property as your primary residence, you get the benefit of tax of a tax exemption. So what does that mean? Your taxable value will be reduced uh, on how much you're, you're being taxed on that property. So let's say your property is worth $100,000. I believe it gets reduced by 50,000 right now. Uh, just the homestead part, there are other exemptions that you could tack onto that, but it gets reduced 50,000. So you'll only be taxed on 50,000, okay? And per, and per your certificate of eligibility, if you're a veteran, okay, depending on your disability, you could be 100% exempt from taxes. So that's why if you have a VA client, it's always wise to have them prep your uh, COE in advance. So that way we can see that they're exempt from taxes. Very good, that's a good tip too. So uh, in addition to <laughs> reducing what you're being taxed on, you also get capped. So if you don't have a tax exemption and the market skyrockets and they, they reassess your property, property values are going up and it's an investment property uh, or you own it in LLC or other entities, um, they can go up whatever it's assessed. But as a primary residence, it gets capped at 3% increase per year. So when you see that elderly couple that is selling their home and you're like, man, their taxes are so low, that is exactly why. Because they've been capped from years ago, like multiple real estate, <laughs> multiple booms ago, right? Not just one, but <laughs> two probably, ago. right? Uh, decades ago. So that's why they're so low is because there's that cap. So it's, it's a very valuable tool, something you want to do as soon as possible. Um, and a little bit, I'll, I'll just give one more minute on this is like it gets assessed and, and the exemption applies as of the first of the year. So in when we're doing a closing, if the seller has it as of the first of the year, the buyer will inherit it for that year, then the, then they need to apply so that they have it based on the, for the following year. Okay. So, um, we always guide our clients on how to apply and give them tips in, in our, as part of our process, but it's important for agents to know there's usually a form nowadays you can do it electronically. You submit it to the, I just did mine a couple months ago. Cause we closed last year, you do everything online. And then, um, if you had homestead on a different property is actually portability. So you could bring your savings and your caps from there and bring it over. So that's tax, the homestead tax exemption, which is a very popular concept. I think most people understand at least that it, that it lowers your taxes, right? Now we're going to go into the next uh, layer of, uh, of protection or what homestead could give you. Homestead gives you creditor protection. Not all protection. It's not like 
totally open and protects you from everybody. There are exceptions as there always is in law school. Like, you know, in law school, there's, there's the rule, there's the exception, and then there's the exceptions to the exceptions, right? So uh, for this particular um, creditor exceptions, basically, if a creditor sues you, they cannot take your home. That is a general rule, right? So when people call me like, oh, I want to set up creditor protection for my home, I say, you already have it because it's your homestead. Now, if and, that and, if that status changes. And assets too, any asset, right? Well, the asset of your house is protected because okay. your house is your homestead. Other stuff you might need to do protection for depending on what you're doing and what you know business you're in and whatever. But with regards to your primary residence, it is protected from creditors, default rule. What are the exceptions? There are three super creditors. Of course, you have to pay your mortgage that makes sense, right? They got to build in that exception because otherwise no one's going to lend you money if they can't foreclose on your, on your property if you're not paying your mortgage. So they can foreclose. The second exemption is contractors working on that house. So what does that mean? That means that um, they can go in and work on your house. And if they file a proper paperwork and you don't pay them, then they can foreclose file a lien and foreclose on that lien and force you to sell it. Most of the time what happens is they had the lien on the property and then you try to sell it and then you can't sell it and it gets paid at closing. That's usually what we see. But that is creditor, the, the contractors, not just contractors, but material men. So it's also the, the people who provided the windows, the doors, the, the, the stuff to build the house, as well as the people who built it and the subcontractors. But it's a very technical procedure for that. So to be able to actually foreclose, they need to follow those very particular steps to do that. And there's notice requirements, et cetera, built into that. So that is the second exception. The third exception are property taxes and, and income taxes, any kind of taxes, right? So um, if you don't pay your income taxes, the federal government can take your home and the federal government and, or the county can eventually force you, you know, to, to, um, to do those, those sales of, for property taxes. There's a whole system on how they do it, but they could actually sell your property if you don't pay your taxes. This is like after many months and or years, and that's, you know, there's a whole procedure to it, which we're not gonna get into, but it's possible. So those are the three majors. And I'm gonna, uh, underneath the umbrella of, the, um, uh, of this is also, if it's a condo, you also, the, the association can foreclose on the unit if there are dues that are uh, owed, right? Assessments, regular or, or, or a special assessments. If they are owed and they're not paid, eventually you'll get a lawyer's letter. Eventually they'll file suit and they'll foreclose and they will own the property and not you, if it's, if it, even if it's your primary residence. What about a judgment? A judgment from anyone other than people than the list people I listed. So other than your your lender, your properly filed contractor uh, or material man, your the, the federal government um, or the you know or um, the association. If it's not one of those, then you actually uh, can have the most beautiful house, and they can't take it from you. So I don't know if you guys remember, um, but way back when. You know, after O.J. Simpson got off uh, on the criminal charges, they knew that the civil charges were coming. Um, so they basically lumped. They, he put all his money in a house in Florida. 
And it's very clear why that was done, right? Because this is my house. This is where I'm going to live. And now he's not the only one that did that, but it's a very like, you know, large scale and common example that people use that we actually had that example in law school back then that we talked about. Um, why do you think people do that? Why do you think people come and pay cash for a multi-million dollar home um, and tie up all those funds is because they want to protect those funds for their family. Because what happens is once they pass, even though those creditors still exist, the creditors can go after other assets upon your passing, but not the home. The home passes still clear without any debts, which is a huge tool if used properly. So something to think about, okay? Uh, creditor protection. Now, but the, last, um, the last one is the one that gives us, well, no, you know, the creditor protection also gives us issues in closings because the when you when you hear us talking about contractors on the sufficient funds affidavit, the contractor needs to sign something for closing. Um, we got, are these tax, is this tax judgment yours or not? That's because these are super creditors and we need to make sure uh, if, if it needs to get paid to clear title, we have to pay it. So that does come into play in closings, not as often as the next, uh, the next ex uh, exemption or uh, not exemption, next exception. The next exemption is a family protection exemption. So the reason why I'm gonna, I, to understand a law, you have to understand, like one of the reasons to, to inter how to interpret a law is to understand the intention behind it. What is the public policy behind the law to be able to, uh, so that you could understand the law? It's a great tip to understand. So back when this was implemented, um, people were able to go and gamble or drink their money away and then basically sign the house from underneath their spouse and uh, gamble their house away, right? Or um, another, another common example used is uh, you have your spouse and then you have your baby mama, right? And then in your will, you want to leave everything to your baby mama or the new, the new side chick or whatever they call it nowadays, you know? Uh, so there's that, that those, those are things that actually used to happen and probably still happen in some, in some forms or fashions. Right. But with, when it comes to the marital home, the, the family home, the primary residence, regardless of if your spouse is on title or not, that, that property is protected from alienation, which means the the uh, the you need the spousal consent for a lot of different things. So let's break it down further. To be able to will your property, your primary residence. I have my home. Um, I'm married and I have my minor children. Right, so I cannot give it to anybody else but my spouse and my kids. That's it. The house is protected for them. So it's basically the the state legislating to protect the family unit. Think of it that way, okay? To protect that family unit. So I cannot give my property away in my will or my half or anything to anyone other than them, even if it's just me on title, right? So right now it's, I have title with my husband and I, so that's a different analysis, different thing. But let's say it was just me. I bought it from before I was married. I still can't give it away. Because even if it's a non-marital asset for divorce, like, okay, so I want to talk about that in a second, because I know those so, questions are going to come up. What if it's a property from before I got married? It yeah. doesn't matter because right now you live in there with your family. It's your primary residence and you cannot sell it. You cannot 
transfer it. You cannot devise it, which means you cannot will it or put in your trust or, without spousal consent. However, and, can't you quit claim someone on title and now you're good? Well, well sir, you can quit claim someone on, but that, that addition still needs spousal consent. You cannot do nothing. You cannot do, you cannot even refinance. You know, we're going to get yeah, into that. Yeah, yeah. You cannot even refinance your home as the only borrower, the only title owner without your spousal consent, because the idea is you're going to take cash out or you're going to do something with the equity of the home and then do something else. What if your spouse isn't consent to it? We need to protect the family unit. Yeah. So it cannot be transferred. It cannot be sold. It cannot be devised, which is willed or like given away upon your death without spousal consent. Now there are things such, at death, there are things that prenups and agreements can handle uh, sometimes. But during your lifetime, regardless of what your prenup says or your postnup says, it does not matter. We still need spousal consent. And this consent requirement is why we're having this show today. And we're going to go into how this impacts different types of deals. Okay. So does that everyone, does, that was awesome. thank you. Was a great explanation. So if you have any questions, you know, we're, we're monitoring the chat, but mm -hmm. I'm going to go into, we're going to start with the easier analysis, which is the seller. Okay. We'll start with the seller. So if you, you, if you have a seller and that seller is married, and they are selling their primary residence. The spouse must consent. Must. There's no prenup. There's no postnup. There's no waiver. It must be signed. If you're the seller. Must. So what does that mean? That means that the seller, the seller's spouse does not need to sign the listing agreement. The seller's spouse does not need to sign the contract but the seller's spouse must sign the deed, must. So if you see at the beginning of a transaction, we are always asking marital status of the parties. This is why, because we need to know who needs to sign what by when, right? But as an agent, if this is your listing, you're at the listing appointment, you, and we always talk about the proper intake, right? You do not need to get that spouse to sign off, but maybe you should. Why? Well, if the spouse is there, you're no, you know you're probably cool because they're at, listen, selling a home is not a little quick thing that people do, right? It's a big decision about the, you know, usually it's a big decision about who you're going to hire to help you. What, what, what's the price? You're going to want your spouse's input. Um, cause you know, you're going to be moving somewhere else. How much money are we going to have? What are we going to do? Right? So this is a bit, usually a family decision, but if that spouse is in there at the listing appointment or included in the conversations, that's your first hint that there may be some, maybe not right. Maybe one spouse is in charge of, and they just kind of take over and they do all that stuff. Or maybe says, you just handle this portion of it because I don't have time for it. Right. Sometimes my husband and I work like that because we're so busy. So, okay, you handle this, I handle this. And then when we have, it's time for like the final decision, like these are the two things, then we go to each other and say, this is what I figured out, right? But not all people are like that. Some people do everything together. Some people do things apart. Some people have separate finances. So you need to, you don't need to ask all those questions, but you need to understand if you're going to be sitting down with a client and having these conversations about selling their home, one of the questions you need to ask is, are you married? 
they're gonna well I'm, okay so now this is where we i anthony i think this is where you're gonna like well this is i don't know uh, keep, going, keep going i don't I, so, want you're, you're going well so so, so are you married the there's a couple different ways they could answer it yes no well dot 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 uh or separated or um why do you need to know this like those are pretty much the five different categories of responses so yes okay great is your spouse here uh the why i ask is they're going to be involved are they going to be okay with this because yeah even though you're the only person on title per the deed your spouse will still need to consent because this is your primary residence seller. You, seller 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 so this is the conversation you're having right you're letting them know your spouse will need to sign the deeds at the expectations why because if you if they are estranged yes i'm married but my spouse lives over here and they're doing their own thing and i, I haven't spoken to them in five years well are they going to be okay with coming to closing or assigning or what do we need to do in advance to make sure this is cool make sense so that's if they say yes if they say no great good uh that's simple enough right but people lie people whatever but okay you, but you that's why you respond great uh i asked that and, and even even the way you set up the question i ask because in florida when you're selling your primary residence regardless um where the person lives or what they do if you're married the spouse must consent so they will need to sign some documents at closing so i just want to ask now are you married so if they are gonna lie or they are gonna like, eh, they already know I could I could screw up my closing. Let me figure this out early. Okay, so that's the no. You you set it up so that they know the the ramifications. It's like I'm not trying to hit on you. Uh, you know, you don't have to say it like that, but like you have to set up. <laughs> you have to you have to say it why it's an important question, right? Why is this an important question? Are you married? So an important question I have to ask for the closing process is, are you married because yada, 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 right? Okay. Uh, I'm separated. We're separated. We've been separated for many, many years. Okay. Well, that is a, a, a more uh, layered response because in Florida, there is no such thing as legal separation, right? Anthony, you even have like as part of your workflow, if someone answers that question, who's buying, and we'll talk about that later, there's no such thing as legal separation in Florida that works on all fronts. So I don't care that you live in separate, that you're dating separate, that you've moved on and have kids. If you did never got legally divorced, it does not matter. You need a divorce decree to say you're single. Otherwise, that spouse must consent, even if they have no interest in the property, even if, you know, so sometimes it's easy to, to get, and sometimes it's, they haven't spoken in years. Sometimes they're strange. Sometimes they're pissed, right? So you don't want to be having this conversation at the final hour when it's time to sign documents, right? You want to have, as a seller, listing agent, you want to have the conversation early, set it up so that, um, you're not working your ass off as an agent on something that's never going to close or that requires a year because they can't find the guy and then they have there's a certain way to do a divorce when you can't find the guy you have to do a publication of the guy the lady could be a lady too i'm just saying the guy you um, gotta rank on the dudes man <laughs> that's i always do that that's default default um, um my default position it's always the guy that's the bad guy <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
So, okay. So uh, there's also saying as legal separation. So it's either married or not. So be, be confident enough to say, okay, we like that, that there's no legal separation in Florida. Let's talk to a real estate attorney so we can organize ourselves to see what exactly is needed. You don't have to say it all, but you know, give me a call. We'll do a three-way. We'll have in two, two minutes, I'll explain it away and then guide them depending on what their, what the relationship and ability is based on that. Okay. So we have, and sometimes it's like, oh, they got to sign separately in different rooms. We've done all that, you know, um, we're in the process of getting divorced. Doesn't matter. It's either you're married or you're divorced. No in between, right? So even if you're in there in the process, they will both need to sign. And if they're in the process of getting divorced, it's a little bit more complicated because what's going to happen with the proceeds, you know, there's a lot more layers to it. Um, and usually the divorce attorneys are more involved in the process when that happens. Um, why are you asking this question response? We already kind of went through that. If you set it up properly in the way you ask it, um, they'll give you the answer. It's super important to have that question in your intake for both sellers and buyers. Super important. Yes, Anthony, I think you so, were gonna... All right, so real quick. Um, the intake form that a buyer's consultation that you should have as a, as a real estate agent, okay? And if you don't, you will have one very soon. Um, the question that you want to ask as an agent is, are you married, unmarried, or separated, right? And the loan officer asks that question and do not, do not in your head right now say that the loan officer does that. No, a good agent will do that. An agent that doesn't want to waste his or her time will do that. The next question, will your spouse be present at closing? Done. That's an open-ended question that has to be answered. What do you mean? I don't know. We're, we're separated. And it can, you could use those same exact questions on the seller side. All right. So I, I, I the, exactly. So will your spouse be present at closing? How I know this is because this is what I'm doing right now. But the bottom line is, is that's what we ask. And 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 the the, the question is a trick question. Why does my spouse have to be present? There's no legal separation in the state of Florida. They have to sign. Um, and, and, and so that delivery is going to give you an answer right off the bat. So then you can go into, Hey, you're going to have to speak to the lender at this point. You will need a divorce decree. Um, or my spouse is in a different country right now. That's an issue. All right. That's, that's a separate issue because a whole different ballpark. Cause what, how are they going to sign? Are they flying back? Are they going to go, you know, uh, to the embassy to sign? Like what, what's the scenario? So these are questions that we ask as loan officers and a good loan officer should ask that question. It's not to get personal, it's to have clean data enter in so clean data is entering out so that way you're not wasting time, man. Um, but that's, I wanted to leave it at that. Go ahead, continue. So, so that's, that's, that's pretty much it on the seller side. It, it's important to have the intake because we really don't wanna be at the final hour and not able to get that spouse to come in to sign. Um, because either they're estranged, they're pissed, they don't live here, and they don't, they don't, or they don't want to cooperate. And speaking of not cooperating, I'm going to share a story of a of a uh, of a file that we had. I, I think got last plenty. Time, I know. I so obviously our intake is on point. Obviously, I've been working over many years to make sure we ask all the extra questions, uh, not assume that that the agent did their job or that the that the lender does their job because. Um, Second pair of eyes, third pair of eyes. It's it's reinforcing who you're working with. Exactly. So so we do a lot of extra questions and requests and, and updates because of that. And that's just, 
uh, that's really out of it's it's out of my out of my uh, my nature uh, to do things a certain way and to have control. But it's also to control my own paycheck because I only get paid at closing, just like you guys. And I don't want to put my paycheck in somebody else's hands uh, that I could have like caught something sooner and like make sure right. So in the earlier days uh, when we had a lot less files, like. If, if nine out of 10 closing, if like one out of the 10 closings didn't close, that's a big hit, right? Now it's different, right? As you grow and if there's an extension, there's an extension. But in the earlier days, I'm like, how do I stop these files from getting extended um, or closing on yeah. time? And there's only so much I can do, but it, whatever I can do, I will. So that's a little backstory about how I set up my systems and why systems are so important in my business because of that, right? Like I need to control my paycheck. So the, the systems are what keeps the deals on track. That's the, the backstory. So now we have automated systems that request the information, but you can't control someone who doesn't respond to requests, right? So what happened in this deal just last month, the agent didn't ask or forgot to ask or something. The lender didn't ask and we asked, but she didn't respond. She ignored the request. We asked a few times and we only found out when it was time to schedule. And this spouse was in another country. So everybody, like all the professionals knew and there was an estranged spouse in, a, in the Caribbean who didn't trust anything uh, and didn't wanna sign. Even though he had no responsibility on the mortgage and we'll talk about that later. Uh, what that means, but they did it. They did it sign. And what happened? The buyer had to cancel the contract and lost half of the deposit because the seller kind of felt bad. Um, but that's terrible. <laughs> that's what happened. And I said, I, so that's why we're doing this today as a reminder to everybody, even though we know it's a good refresher for ourselves. Like, you know, when, you know, because at the end of the day, we ask the information so that we could act on it, right? But if the invitation's not given, then it doesn't trigger us to act on it. And then we, it kind of, it, but if everybody would have asked, then we would have been in a different place by the end, right? At the end of the day, for a buyer, for a borrower, I think the true buck lies with the lender to ask that question because they know what they need. Uh, unfortunately, People like to place blame on other things sometimes, and, and it is what it is, but the lender should know, I can't lend you money if you're on a, on a purchase of your primary. And you know, it's a primary because that's, the, that's the, the type of loan you're putting them in. So, so those, are you married? Those, those questions, and I see this all the time um, at previous companies that I used to work at. And when I was managing as a regional manager, I would see it. I was overseeing five branches. I would see loan officers skip the declarations page. What have they declared? Um, the ethnicity, we don't need to ask this. You need to ask all of these things. We need to know if it, you know, if it's, if they're a U.S. citizen, because that's an issue right there. I was big, big alien cards and all that stuff that people were skipping over and then closing, uh, you know, they couldn't do a specific program. So where I'm going with this is asking those questions um, are so important as a loan officer, but they're just as important as a, a buyer's, uh, you know, agent. And, and it's imperative Why? because they're the buyer's agent is the first point of contact. 
usually and has. and I and I and I work with very good buyers agents and I just uh, explained this to a really good buyers agent the other day I said you know we, we just came out with our short form app and he's like well these are too many questions with too many questions there's seven questions man and at the end of the day I go what's too many questions is the seven hours that you took tour guide in someone that didn't qualify and he goes yeah you're right especially and I, and I nowadays seven freaking days man seven days playing tour guide we could have we could have addressed this in seven minutes so that's important especially today um especially today because we ain't got time to show properties to buyers that never could have closed to begin with never mind the issues we're having with inventory and all these other things yeah um but it's super important so let's talk about how it impacts the buyer in the process so if it's a cash buyer it doesn't mm -hmm. matter right because as a cash buyer you're just receiving it and that's it you're buying the property and it's yours you'll have mm -hmm. to deal with that on the sale now where it becomes an issue is if you're getting the loan why because in the in the title hierarchy of how documents are recorded is you buy the property even though you get the money first to be able to buy the property the deed is recorded first and then the mortgage you cannot mortgage a property you don't you don't own so basically the deed is recorded first and the mortgage okay so uh once you own it then you have to mortgage it you can't mortgage it if you're married and your spouse is not consenting so that is why like but i don't even own i don't even own it yet how why does my spouse need to consent because in the in the way like there's actually like we don't just send documents to recording there's a specific way we send documents to for the chain of title so you'll if you ever if you're curious we put all the documents to clear title first if there's a power of attorney for any of those documents, those get recorded before the document to show the authority of that person signing. And then we have the purchase document, the deed, and then the then the mortgage. So that's the hierarchy. Okay. Awesome. That's so awesome. that's why you're owner before you're a borrower. <clears throat> and that's why the spouse must consent. So um you know that and same thing with a refinance you know but you guys don't really are not part of the refinance process but know that that's the same would apply you you think of it more in the refinance structure because i own the property and now i'm going to i'm going to finance it so i need my spouse to consent but it's the same thing for purchasing so um the intake is super important because you don't want to be wasting time um, and it's as simple as those questions that Anthony, so we'll, well, if you're uh, one of our subscribers, we'll put all these kind of little notes for you guys and the, um, and the questions, those two questions that Anthony asked, it's the best way to do it. Um, and, and so that you have that as part of your intake form, if you don't already have marital status questions. Um, so speaking of the spouse consenting, there's a, a big misconception that to be on title, you must be on the loan. So I'm gonna, I wanna pause right now and talk about this. Just because one of, the, one of the spouses is the borrower, they're the one that is financially more stable or has better credit, or they don't wanna tie up both parties because they might wanna invest in something else later. There's many reasons why only one person is on the loan. Um, if there's only one person on the loan, does not mean that, that there can't be other people on title. So when you're making the offer, you need to put on the offer, whoever will be on title, not who's going to be on the loan. Okay. 
So if husband and wife want to own the property together, both names need to be on the offer. So what, what happens a lot is clients think just because one of the parties is going to do the loan, they only put that party on the contract. And then we get to the final stages and we're scrambling to amend the contract, amend the title commitment, amend, let the lender know, change the package around. And sometimes we're too far in the game that we can't make those changes at the, at the closing table. So um, it's uh, important to understand the distinction between those two. And then on top of that, um, understanding that the spouse, even if they're not on the mortgage, uh, like they're not a borrower, they still will have to sign the mortgage to consent. They will both be listed as borrowers on the mortgage more than likely because it's this template form. So it won't say the proper way should be so-and-so borrower comma joined by their spouse so-and-so comma but that's not how the that's not how these templated forms are are written the person responsible for the mortgage is whoever signs the note the spouse the consenting spouse non-borrowing spouse does not need to sign the note they will only sign the mortgage which is the consent they are not person so they are not personally liable <clears throat> this, is a, this is a very important distinction to understand as a realtor that the bar the borrower signs the note and the mortgage, the consenting spouse just signs the mortgage. What were you gonna say, Anthony? All right. So because we have 15 minutes and I want to get this out. Um there pay attention, everyone. There is a primary homeowner, okay? Um, primary homeowner wants to purchase a home, married. Right. They can't sign, they can't purchase a home without their significant other, their spouse, right? However, they can purchase a second vacation home and an investment home without them consenting. Okay, so true story. Um, abused woman, God bless her, um, registered nurse, closed her two years ago, I want to say, maybe, I think it was two years ago, and really bad marriage. She let me know everything that was going on. Uh, and her husband was obviously verbally and physically abusing her. So the workaround on that scenario was that the mother and father rented, okay, and they never owned a, a property. So before she was going through the divorce, because he wasn't allowing or wasn't signing and just didn't want to have it, we basically took mom and dad, who was going to live with her, all right, and that was the case, and that was a true point example. There's nothing illegal about that. Put it under their name, uh, and they consented, and they added her to uh, title after they got a divorce. Right, so that was a workaround on trying to, you know, get the loan um, to to get her out of that bad marriage. So there's ways and loopholes around these scenarios that are compliant and legal. Um, significant other, sister, co-signing. Uh, with mom and dad to increase income, all parties on title, uh, and then putting it under possibly a will or a trust, whatever the case may be, uh, there are workarounds. Typically, a single parent going out of a divorce is not going to have 10% down on as a second vacation home or 20% down as an investment. So yeah, there's a loophole, but the down payment stops them. So right, so that's what I was going to say, because sometimes they can, they can buy it as a second, and not use it like, or, or 
if there's nothing wrong with that and then you change how you use it later um but the, but the, but when you do that right it changes the down payment requirements right anthony yeah exactly so so and and maybe they have an ira or maybe they don't have an ira or a 401k you know those are questions that you want to ask but there's always a workaround there's there's never all oh, they're married they got to get a divorce decree there it's a dead deal it's not a dead deal you didn't ask the right well, question well well it is a dead deal if you find out at the final hour yeah exactly. <laughs> like the what we're just we literally I, I just it was a, it, it, it sucks. Dude, I and had like, a client last month call me up. He's married. And he's like, yeah, we're going to have my girlfriend sign. I go, is your wife aware of this? Yeah, that's cool. Everything's great. I'm like, dude, get her on the phone. There's no way I'm going. I'm not wasting my time. Get everyone on the phone. Get them in the same rank. We're going to ask the question out loud. And sure awkward. Shit, it was extremely <laughs> awkward, but I, there was no way I was thinking, what, what is this? Like, how, how is this even possible? And it was possible. And it was wild. Yeah, Dana. And you know, we've had, we've like, had some of those where we're like, wait, I, it, the closing room, there's like three guys. And one woman <laughs> three guys. I don't know. It created so much confusion. Like who's who here? Like, I don't even know. Um, it happens. Um, and as long as things like are done by the books, it's fine, but we need to ask those questions. Right. So, uh, so that is the purpose of today's episode is to bring awareness to this, remind you guys, um, to have this question in your intake. And then when, if, if, the, if you're not sure, ask the question, get the response, call us up, you know, and we'll happy to guide you because um, we don't want you working for nothing. It sucks. I've, I've had it happen in my career twice. And I said, that's the last time that was, it sucks. This is know? the first time it's happened like this. Oh, there's always going to be crazy but, stories, but I mean, you know, but yeah. And so, you know, of course myself, how I am, I go back, I go through, no, but we, we actually never responded. I'm like, cause we always ask, right. So going through pushing forward and making sure like that this doesn't happen again is important. We're also going to be doing some educational videos. I've been saying this for two years. I need to do my videos to like explain why to borrowers and sellers, but that'll come one day. It'll, it'll come soon. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. Really it's the same thing on the intake. When you're sitting down doing a buyer consultation, ask those questions, ask them because you know why it's so important. Explain to them why it's an important question. If they, if they give you some feedback on that, uh, or pushback and then, um, you know, if there is those tricky gray lines, like they're going through a divorce, they are separated, um, but still married, obviously those are the things that you're going to have to escalate and speak to the lender before you go into contract. Like, yeah. how are we going to make this work? Right. Yeah. Don't ask. We can't make this work at the final hour. We need time. We need strategy. So yeah, it's wise to ask those questions because you save time, you save face and you save just relationships, everything. It's just, it's better to have an answer up front. And it might not, and I, it might not be an answer an agent wants to hear. Oh, he doesn't want to entertain these loans. He's too busy for this, blah, blah, blah. It's not that. There's just, there's so many intricacies that will make that loan blow up. And why, why are we going to mess up the brand name? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's all we have is our reputation and our brand. And uh, to, to make this elephant get forced through a mouse hole is, is just, it's nonsense. So yep. 
Great stuff, Melinda. Awesome. 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 So I hope you guys found this topic helpful, useful. We are always open for additional topics that you guys uh, want to see us discussing. Um, but yeah, that's a wrap for today. Episode 51. Uh, we always ask that if you like our show, make sure to share it with friends. Um, and, and that's a wrap. Have an amazing rest of your week, guys. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.